So, the uh, chapter 17 of, uh, of John's Gospel, um, it starts off after Jesus said this, so I better read to you the verse or two before, so you'll know what it is that, uh, that Jesus said. End of chapter 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture could be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world anymore, than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and all of them may be one Father, just as you, and I, uh, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know 
that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you, Alan. Good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning to the family and friends of uh, Digby uh, this morning. Uh, it was lovely to hear um, Suze and Hugh talk about their hopes and dreams uh, for Digby just a moment ago. So Hugh wants Digby to grow up to be a man who uh, brings glory to Jesus and sheds a light for him in our world. Uh, and Suze said, you know, of course we want happiness and health and well-being, fulfilling relationships, but most of all, we want him to grow up to know the love of God uh, and we want him to know the peace and comfort uh, and purpose that Jesus' sacrifice brings uh, and to live a way that reflects this. Uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, their hopes and dreams for their son. Um, I've been reflecting on these things because my own daughter turns 21 uh, in two weeks' time. So uh, you start reminiscing, looking back through the photo albums, uh, so many great memories, so many proud moments. You know, I've kind of held back, uh, you know, because, you know, I didn't want to seem like I was boasting too much. But I can honestly say, of all the achievements, of all the things in her life, the thing that I am, uh, that my greatest joy is coming to see her deepen in her faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, that moment of her baptism on the top right hand corner. Uh, where as a, as a young adult, as a teenager, she said, yes, this is, this is what I believe. Uh, I'm going to follow Jesus. And to see her take that on and blossom as a child of God, there is no greater joy uh, than that. But how would you answer that question for your own life? Uh, someone comes and asks you, what are your hopes and dreams for yourself? Uh, what do you want to be able to look back at the end of your life and see God have done in your life. Um, now, as we open our Bibles to John 17, we find ourselves in the final hours of Jesus' life. Jesus is with the 12 disciples. The night began with him washing their feet. They enjoyed a meal together. It was kind of a, an awkward meal because Jesus talked about betrayal. He talked about leaving them. He was talking about his death the very next day, but they, they still haven't kind of understood what's going on. Uh, he talked about betrayal, fear, abandonment. But he's also been comforting them that his going from them is purposeful and that he will send the Holy Spirit to be with them, to comfort them. It's all part of God's good plan. And now before Jesus heads out, and next week we'll come to his arrest and trial leading up to his death, but now 
Jesus prays his final prayer with his disciples. It is a beautiful thing that we're drawn into this intimate moment between Jesus, the Son, and his heavenly Father. And um, we gain an insight into the heart of Jesus. Uh, what are his hopes and desires for his own life, for, uh, even for us? See, because at the end of this prayer, Jesus actually prays for you and me. Isn't that beautiful? That on the night Jesus was di- about to die and he was facing the final challenge of his crucifixion, he prayed for us. Uh, and that will, be, that will be important for us to take hold of what is Jesus' prayer for us uh, on that night that he died. But it begins with Jesus' prayer for himself. So you need your Bibles open at John 17, and we're in verses 1 to 5. So after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. The key idea of Jesus' prayer for himself is glorify your son. Uh, To glorify someone means to honour them, to, uh, to recognise what they have done, to give them what their deeds deserve. So the Olympic Games is going to take place in just a few months, apparently, hopefully. Um, And what happens at the Olympic Games is the best athletes from across the planet come together to compete with each other. So here is the great moment of Kathy Freeman from the Sydney Olympics, uh, racing to Olympic gold, and the whole nation was behind her, cheering her on. And the medal ceremony, just look at the jubilation, the sense of joy. Uh, The medal ceremony is that moment when the winning athlete receives the recognition, the glory that their deeds deserve. Now, that's what Jesus prays for himself. He prays, glorify your son. Clothe me in splendour for all the world to see. Now, if I was to pray that prayer, if I was to get up and pray, Father, glorify David Sheath. Clothe him in splendour for all the world to see. What would you, what would you think? It would sound a little bit self-centred, uh, a little bit arrogant, a little bit undeserved, because you think, well, what has David done that he should be clothed in splendour. But when you come to this prayer for Jesus, he deserves the glory. Uh, And as we continue to unpack this passage, we'll see he deserves all glory and honour. But it's Jesus, it's not a self-centred prayer because Jesus, listen to what happens in the prayer next. Jesus says, verse 1, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. See, Jesus knows that it's only as he himself is glorified that that firstly, God will be glorified and secondly, that eternal life will flow from him to the rest of the world. Now, just a few hours after Jesus prayed this prayer, He was strung up on the cross, an object of public ridicule, humiliation, mocked, beaten, spat on, laughed at as his his life drained away. 
To the crowds looking on at the crucifixion, it didn't look like a moment of glory. It looked like a moment of degrading shame, deep shame. And yet for, the, for those who have eyes to see it, there on the cross, as Jesus' life drained away, there was the glory of God on view for the world to see. There on the cross, God's holy justice and his intimate love come together hand in hand in a beautiful way. Jesus died as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Sin is punished. The holy God pours out his righteous anger on the evil and sin of our world. And yet sinners like us are shown mercy. Uh, In spite of what we have done, we're given forgiveness. Our shame is washed away by his shame on the cross. And the door to eternal life is open for us. And notice what eternal life is. Look at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is ultimately knowing God. And, And by knowing, we're not talking about just a head knowledge, but a relationship. Eternal life is about a relationship experiencing the love of God and his son forever. Uh, Their beautiful embrace. And as Jesus hung on the cross, we'll see this in chapter 19, he will cry out, it is finished, just before he breathes his last. The cross was the great moment of triumph. And when he says it is finished, he's not just saying my life has ended, but my work has ended. The work I have come to accomplish is complete through my death on the cross. And the resurrection three days later is like the medal ceremony. It's like God's resounding yes. Jesus prays, glorify your son. And the resurrection is like God saying, I will glorify you and raise you up and show you to be the conquering king the one who has died the obedient death for the sins of the world, the one who has conquered death, defeated evil, and here now I clothe him in splendour. That's, that's what the resurrection communicates. So what is your response to Jesus? Do you join with God in cheering his praises? Because that is what the resurrection is meant to trigger in us. A recognition, here is God's obedient son. Here is the saviour of the world who out of love selflessly gave his life so that we might live. And this is the moment where the crowd is meant to stand and applaud and recognise the incredible achievement of the Lord Jesus. He deserves all glory and praise. So that's Jesus' prayer for himself. Glorify your son. And we, we can be part of that, the answer to that prayer, as we acknowledge Jesus and bring him glory in our lives. Now, now Jesus' prayer turns to his disciples. 
uh, verses 6 to 19. And I want to pick up at verse 9 there. See what it says? I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. It's a little curious, isn't it, that Jesus is so specific in this prayer. I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for them. Uh, At this point, Jesus is praying just for the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas Iscariot has already left. He will betray Jesus by leading the arresting party in the hours that follow. So there are only 11 disciples left in the room with him at this point. And what does Jesus pray for these 11? Well, have a look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prays for protection over the 11. He said again in verse 15, My prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. Verse 17, sanctify them. That is, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus' prayer for the 11 is for God to protect and sanctify them. Now, why? Why is this such a critical thing for Jesus to pray on the night before he died? Well, it's because... He is leaving, and these 11 will play a crucial role in the, in the spread of the message of Jesus from Jesus to the rest of the world. Uh, so just jump ahead to verse 20, and you see the idea there. He says, My prayer is not for the 11 alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. See, so how do you know about Jesus? How do you know what you know about Jesus? Uh, it's not that Jesus is physically present with us. Uh, we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't audibly hear his voice. He never wrote a book. It was these 11 disciples who heard Jesus teach. They heard him with their own ears. They saw his miracles with their own eyes. They saw his death. They saw his resurrection. Um, Jesus prays for them in particular because of the critical role they will play in transmitting the message of Jesus from Jesus to us, to the rest of the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I now send them into the world. And the disciples didn't only speak, or if you read the book of Acts, you'll see they spoke lots with a new courage and a boldness. But they didn't only speak, they wrote it down, what they had seen and heard, uh, so that we might have access to it even 2,000 years later. Now, have you ever played the game Chinese Whispers? Um, You know how the game works? You know, you've got a a, a queue of people and one person whispers into the ear and then then it's passed on down the line. Um, I'll give you an example. There's this one on the screen. So you've got a bunch of people. They're all part of the same company, these people. Uh, And the lady there, she's the head of the company, and she declares, our strategy will adapt as we watch the markets evolve. There is the, the clear statement. Our strategy will adapt 
as we watch the markets evolve, and then it's whispered down the line. But by the time it gets to the end, it becomes our strategy is to adopt meerkats and watch them evolve. Uh, and you think, wow, there's only a few little uh, minor errors make a big difference to uh, the strategy at the end of the day. Now, some people think Christianity is like a 2,000-year-old game of Chinese whispers. Uh, and the message gradually changes bit by bit uh, over the course of time from generation to generation. But in fact, it was always the plan of Jesus that he would pass his message, his teaching, his deeds to his disciples and then they to the rest of the world for all time. And they wrote it down. So this part of the Bible, even that we're looking at today, John's Gospel, it was written by one of those 11 disciples. It's not like it's been filtered through a hundred generations ever since. We have the words of one of those 11 disciples here in John's biography of Jesus. Uh, it was originally written in the Greek language, uh, but we're good at translation these days. Uh, and so we're very confident that what we have in our English version of John's gospel is pretty well identical to what John actually wrote down 2,000 years ago. And he wrote as one who had heard, seen as an eyewitness to all the deeds and teaching of Jesus. And I want to put the challenge out to all of you, right? And anyone uh, watching online, have you taken the time to read and comprehend one of the biographies of Jesus? Uh, that's what we do in our life series. Uh, and we'll start the next one at the end of April. And what we'll do is we'll just take one of the biographies of Jesus that were written 2,000 years ago and we'll wrestle with what it has to say. How do, we know, how do we have confidence that this is what was written? We'll deal with that question. But then we'll, then we'll say, well, what did they see? What did they speak? Uh, what did Jesus do and teach? Uh, we'd love you to join us uh, as we do that at the end of April. But as Jesus faces his death on the cross, he, play, he prays for God's protection over the 11 disciples because they play a critical role between Jesus and us. And they are the ones through whom we know everything we know about Jesus. And that brings us to the third and final part of Jesus' prayer, his prayer for you and me. Verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. And if you believe in Jesus... This is Jesus' prayer for you. What does Jesus pray for us? Well, it's pretty clear there in verse 21. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. See, Jesus had a profound unity with God the Father, and Jesus' prayer is that all of us would be united in that same sort of way. He said again in verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete 
unity. At the heart of Jesus' prayer and desire for us is that we might be a united people, united in love, united by the Holy Spirit. See, the unity and love between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, that unity is mind-blowing, isn't it? Uh, You start unpacking it and you realise there are three persons, Father, Son and Spirit, and yet one God. And it just doesn't kind of make mathematical sense. Uh, How can you say that? And yet, this is the way the Bible constantly talks about God. God is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but one God. So united in love and purpose that you cannot speak of one without the other. The the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son indwell each other through the Spirit that unites them. And so as Jesus prays for us, he prays that we will enjoy the richness and intimacy of that kind of relationship. Uh, a, a deep indwelling of one another, a deep interdependence on one another. And not just with one another, but with God himself. We are drawn into the richness of relationship that God enjoys in himself. Now, you've got to ask, is that the sort of unity that we experience today? Uh, And sometimes you feel like, oh man, we are a long way short. Uh, And so we know Jesus' prayer, and let's, let's commit to being part of striving to fulfill Jesus' prayer in the way we treat one another, by loving one another deeply, not just superficially. Uh, Let's love one another. Let's unite with one another, care for one another. It's going to mean we've got to forgive one another. We've got to kind of let grievances go uh, and unite with one another. But I, but I also want to um, kind of flag a little bit of a, a warning here because um, sometimes Christians can seek a unity with one another that I don't think is a, a godly unity. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, when, we, when our church first started, we were invited to be part of a huge coast-wide gathering of all churches. Uh, and it was going to be at the stadium down in Gosford. Uh, and the idea was, you know, all of, you know, well, there's hundreds of churches on the central coast, but why don't we all get together as one display of unity? And I, and I said, well, that, that's, that sounds great. You know, so what are we going to do? Um, so we're going to sing and pray. Uh, and I said, well, what about opening the Bible? What about you know, opening the Bible and someone to speak the heart of the message of Jesus? Um, you know, would, that would be an awesome thing to unite us. And the answer that came back was, well, the problem is uh, once you open the Bible, it starts dividing people uh, and... Uh, it, you know, and that's kind of cutting against the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. So we'll just steer clear of reading and teaching the Bible. 
Uh, and at that part, at that point, my kind of heart broke. Um, because you realise that's, that's quite a different unity from the unity Jesus is talking about. Have a look at verse 20 again. I pray for those who will believe in me through the message of the disciples that all of them may be one. Can you see that our unity is a unity that is based on the word of God and the teaching of the disciples and the message of Jesus? And so at the very least, that unity has to be a unity of what we believe and hold to uh, about Jesus. Uh, and that unity then will be expressed as we love each other, as we forgive one another, as we care for one another. And Jesus is calling on us to step up. He's praying that we will. Uh, and it, I reckon the unity begins here in our church family at the lakes. Um, will you give yourself to being united with your brothers and sisters? Right, this pushes you beyond your little biological families, doesn't it? It pushes you to a bigger love than that. Uh, to learn together, to love together, to gather together. But notice, <clears throat> notice the impact that this will have on our wider community. So verse 21, Jesus says, May they also, that's may we also be in May they also be in us. So Jesus is praying, may, may this group of people be in God, united to God, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Or verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. As we Christians live in loving unity, it is a witness to the world of the truth and power of Jesus at work in us, and it is compelling. So we started off talking about hopes and dreams. You know, what are the hopes and dreams for Digby? What are your hopes and dreams for yourself? And I want to warn you that if you're not careful, your hopes and dreams become small. Uh, they become self-centred. Uh, if you're not careful, your hopes and dreams will surround yourself and maybe your little biological family. But Jesus wants us to have a bigger vision, a bigger capacity than that, a much more profound experience of love. From before the beginning of time, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwelt in perfect unity and they could have easily just stayed in their little beautiful bubble of love forever. But love drove Jesus to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Uh, our champion, our saviour, to actually unite us in love to himself. And he deserves all praise. And as we believe in Jesus, so we are drawn into this loving relationship with God, with Jesus, and with one another. And what God is doing is he's expanding our capacity and our experience of love. But God so loved the world, right? It doesn't end here even with us. 
God so loved the world and he wants us, his children, to testify to the world of the love and truth of Jesus so that others can come to experience that love uh, that comes through Jesus and the power of his spirit. Now, I know Digby's not with us right now. He's out there, but I, I have written down, I've, I've written a poem for Digby um, and, uh, and the other children who we're going to be welcoming into uh, our church family later on tonight. And the poem is based on John 17. So I'll read it to you and I'll give you a, a copy uh, for you to pass on to Digby. Here it is. Jesus loves you, Digby, more than you know. Keep trusting him more each day as you grow. Make Jesus your king, your one true hero, the one you cheer for and bravely follow. The Bible, his gift for each step on the way, they heard and wrote down every word he would say. And he died for you and rose the third day. So keep following him as you read, trust and obey. Here he is, he's listening right now. Jesus' prayer for, your, for you, Digby, on that last night before Jesus died, that you might unite. He wants you to love others and to be a light so the world may know his precious delight. Your parents love Jesus, they call on his name and their constant prayer is for you to do the same. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. God, our Father, we want to thank you so much for your beautiful, precious Son, Jesus. Uh, that you are answering his prayer. You have glorified Jesus in his death and resurrection and all oh, the glory that he deserves. Out of love, he stepped into that moment of shame and abandonment and betrayal and mocking to take our sin and to wash it clean. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. And may we sing his praises into eternity. We want to thank you for protecting the disciples that they have passed on to us, the precious words and deeds of Jesus, so that we too can believe. And we pray that you'll please work in the hearts of everyone here, that they will be willing to investigate, to listen to and to believe the words of Jesus. And please continue to answer Jesus' prayer in us as we unite together in faith, in love, in the things we believe, in forgiveness. May we shine a light so that more and more people come to believe to know and experience your great love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.